Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. If this podcast helps you spiritually, will you consider helping us naturally? You can give online or become a monthly partner as we aim to help more ministries and release more content. You can give online today at thelife.cc. Enjoy today's message. Hello, everybody. This is Staff Prayer, and can all of the staff give it up for everyone who may be listening to this podcast? Welcome, wherever you're listening from, whoever you are, wherever you are, we're glad to have you here with us. Uh, today in Staff Prayer, we're actually ordaining someone, and uh, I wanted to teach not just on ordination, but also something that's not being taught on a lot, um, and that is the laying on hands. Uh, And so we're going to dive into this. Let's go over to it. If you brought your Bibles or you're listening and you're able to uh, pay attention to these things and actually open up a scripture, uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 2. I'm reading out the Amplified because this was a Bible that was my father's. And I just thought, that would be cool to read out of that on the day I ordained somebody. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 1 through 2. Uh, Paul says, therefore, let us go on and get past the elementary stage in the teachings and the doctrine of Christ, advancing steadily towards the completion and perfection that belongs to spiritual maturity. Now, notice the distinguishment here of what he's saying. He says there are some elementary teachings and doctrines of Christ. Now, I have kids who actually just started school and one who's still kind of in elementary school and they're teaching the basics. Uh, you know, they say from first to third grade, they're teaching you how to read, uh, that you're, you're learning to read, and in third grade beyond, you're reading to learn. Uh, because you have elementary school to teach you the basics, sentence structure, nouns, verbs, you know, what are these words, what is basic arithmetic, all those types of things. But then you go past elementary teachings into deeper teachings that are built upon those elementary teachings. Meaning, if you don't know the number four, division is not going to help you. Uh, If you don't know how to like spot, that's 93. Uh, Multiplication could be a problem. Uh, And so you need elementary teachings to move on to the advanced teaching. Now, I I think if you ask most Christians today, what are the elementary teachings of the doctrine of Christ? What are they? Uh, They wouldn't know it. But if you ask them what are the elementary teachings in school, they would be able to know it. And we do a very poor job as pastors and churches of really laying a foundation of belief within the heart. And this is actually one of the things I want to correct in our kids' departments. Of of laying a foundation of, here are the elementary teachings of Christ. And upon these teachings, we move on to deeper things. And we're not ready for deeper things until these foundations have been laid in you. And he's about to list what those elementary teachings are. Now, this is good for you, especially if you work for a church and you're on staff, because if there's anybody who should know what the elementary teachings of the doctrine of Christ are, it should be people who work for a church. Uh, And so we're going to dive into these um, and just list them and then major on one. Um, Advancing steadily towards the completion and perfection that belongs to spiritual maturity Let us not again be laying, notice he's saying, a foundation, laying the foundation 
of, and here are the elementary teachings of the doctrine of Christ, the foundation upon which the deeper things should be built off of. Number one, repentance and the abandonment of dead works. So the first teaching, he says, that is the foundation of the elementary teachings of the doctrine of Christ is if you are going to follow Christ, you must repent and leave and abandon dead works. What is repentance? You heard me say it a million times. Repentance is not feeling bad for what you've done. Repentance is change. I actually was talking to to one of my children the other day, and they're like, I'm sorry. I'm like, I know. I said, do you know what's better than sorry? Change. Uh, And so (laughs) out of that, God is not asking you to repent to make you sorry. He's not trying to make you shameful. He's not trying to like put you in a place where it's like, I feel so bad for what I did. Repentance is the abandonment of dead works. It's like, I understand these things are bad for me. I see these things do not need to be in my life. I see these things are going to keep me from the call of God on my life. I see these things are going to hurt me. If I get involved in these things, they're going to hurt others. So I abandon these dead works. And as a Christian, there are some things we do not watch. As a Christian, there are some things we do not listen to. There are some things we do not entertain ourselves with. There are some things that the world is completely fine with doing. We're not because as a Christian, we repent and abandon dead works. And that is the first teaching of the doctrine of Christ, which makes sense. When Jesus came to the earth, what did he come teaching? Repent for the kingdom of God has come near you. So the kingdom of God is advancing in your life, but in order for you to receive what the kingdom of God is wanting to give you, you must repent from dead works and give yourself to the things of the kingdom. Uh, And so he says, this is the first elementary teaching of the doctrine of Christ. There's some things that you have to turn from and say, these things will not be in my life. Notice, second teaching of the doctrine of Christ. Um, The abandonment of dead works and of faith by which you turn to God. So here we see the the second thing, which is I want to have faith in God. So I'm not just repenting from dead works. I'm pointing my affection towards God, and I'm developing a faith in him, a strong belief in who God is and a strong belief of what God can do. Uh, That if I come to God, I must believe, according to Hebrews, that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So faith towards God is like God is what I need him to be, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He says that's the second work. Uh, second teaching that needs to be instilled in the hearts of people is faith towards God. God is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Notice uh, the third one. And teachings about purifying, another translation says washing, uh, that is baptisms. Uh, And so out of that, one of the elementary things of the doctrine of Christ is understanding the power of baptism and purification in my own life. Uh, That baptism is a natural sign of a spiritual work, that just like I go into water and it washes me, that I am, as a Christian, going through this process of repenting from dead works, exercising faith towards God, so things are being washed off of me. I'm being purified. I'm developing into maturity of a spotless bride. Um, that is, is looking forward to my, my wedding day where I get to be united with Christ. And out of this, I am preparing myself for that. And baptism is a sign of that. It's not just dunking someone in water. It's saying, I understand that I am purifying my life for Christ, which is why we ought to wait until people get old enough to actually know what they're doing in baptism. 
Uh, this is not like, oh, you're baptized. This is, I have made a decision to follow Jesus. I have made a decision to repent from dead works. I have made a decision to have faith towards God. And I want the world to know it. I want to know it. I'm on a journey towards purification. I'm not having these dead works in my life. I'm moving towards faith to God. I belong to Christ Jesus. That's water baptism, purifications. Uh, then he goes on, and we'll get to this in a minute. The laying on of hands. The laying on of hands is a fundamental teaching of the doctrine of Christ. Um, And I'll talk about that in a minute. Then the resurrection of the dead. When you die, you're not dead. There is a resurrection. There is life after death. Uh, And he says that's a fundamental teaching that's in the doctrine of Christ um, that people need to understand that death is not final. There is a resurrection from the dead, which brings to the last fundamental teaching of the doctrine of Christ, uh, is that there is a hell uh, and there is eternal judgment and punishment. And it's, it's amazing, a lot of people don't believe that anymore. But here you see, it's a fundamental teaching. It's like an elementary teaching of the doctrine of Christ. That there is eternal judgment and punishment. Um, and this is why we teach and preach and evangelize and have invite weekends and like all these other things. Is we believe that there is a resurrection from the dead. That we will live forever. But we also believe uh, where that is, is a matter of our personal choice. And that out of that, if I am to be saved, and, and it's like, well, if you don't believe in hell, like, okay, save, save from what? <laughs> like, <laughs> from eternal judgment, from punishment. Uh, and so out of this, um, we need these fundamental teachings and the doctrine of Christ. But I want to major on today uh, that one that we kind of skipped over, it, the laying on of hands. Uh, the early church believed far more in the laying on of hands than the modern church. And it's, it's exemplified by how much teaching you've actually heard on it. And we see people like lay hands on people and we see that kind of be done. But it's, it's something that I think oftentimes it's not done with the same spiritual intent that it should be done with. And the power that it can give is actually something that's not understood. And because it's not understood, the power is not being made much of. And so I, I want to kind of teach on real quickly uh, basic uh, teachings of the laying on of hands. It is evident and clear from scripture that you are born with gifts, callings, and anointings. When God puts you here on this earth, he put in you things you needed to run your race, gifts. Uh, For some of you, it's the gift of leadership or the gift of communication or your personality. Um, There are anointings, spiritual empowerment. And so you've recognized this if you've heard some people sing, and then there's some people who are anointed to sing. Um, and some people who are anointed to sing are not that great as singers. Like they don't have the talent, but the anointing of God is on that. Uh, same thing with instruments and players, but that, that's true in all arenas of life. There are things that are birthed in you when you were placed in this earth um, that are, are gifts, talents, and anointings. But it is very clear from Scripture as well that even those those things were given to you by birth, there are things that through your course here on this earth, God gives to you through other people that you did not have until they gave it to you. Well, I guess I shouldn't say until they gave it to you. Until God gave it through you, through them. And there are many, many examples of this in the Old and New Testament. I'll give you some in the um, uh, Old Testament. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13. Now to turn there, I'll just talk to you about it. You know it. Uh, David is a young kid. 
uh, clearly talented, like he's wrestling lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. Uh, he is uh, bold, he's confident, he's ruddy, which means like when the Bible calls you handsome, you know you're handsome. Uh, like all of those kinds of things, he's got all these things working for him. Um, but his father leaves him out in the field. And Samuel says, we're not going to sit until you bring him in, that he's, he's come to Eliab and he's come to all these other boys. And he's like, this is not God's choice. And he sees David. And when he sees David, he's like, this is him. And when he lays hands on him and anoints him with oil, the Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord came on him from that day forward. So meaning on that day, he got something that he had forward, meaning for the rest of his life, that he did not have until that day. On that day, when Samuel came into his life and did this, Samuel gave him something by God, or I should say God gave it through Samuel to him that he did not have until that day. And from that day forward, he went with the Spirit of the Lord on him in a way that he did not have before. Uh, In Exodus, Exodus 28 and verse 41, uh, you see Aaron. Um, God says, I want you to consecrate and anoint Aaron and his sons to be priests in the temple. Now, Aaron had been um, a priest or, or like with, I shouldn't say a priest yet, but like in that way, in many kind of ways, all the way up from when Moses was called by the burning bush. You remember that moment? He's like, I don't know how to talk to people. And like, I don't know what I'm going to say. And God's like, don't panic. I'll send Aaron with you. And so Aaron had been operating as a key person in Moses's story and in the story of God's advancement in the earth. But on that day, he was anointed to stand in something that previously he was not standing in before. Uh, that the anointing came to prepare him versus him being prepared for the anointing. Oh. It, it, it was something that perfected him versus him being perfected to earn it. It came on him to get him in a place where he could do it. Uh, You see this with Moses and the 70 elders. Moses is like doing all the judgment in the the kingdom for like all these these kinds of things. And it's bad. And his father-in-law Jethro is like, this is not good for you. It's like you're wearing yourself out. And then he's like, and the people don't like it either, actually. Like uh, they're having to wait in lines. It's bad. It's hot. We're in a desert. Uh, Like this needs to move more quickly. And so he takes the 70 elders and he lays his hands on them and imparts unto them a spirit of wisdom. They did not have that before that moment. And the spirit that was on Moses came upon the 70 through the laying on of hands. Uh, To Joshua in Numbers 27 and verse 18, God speaks to Moses and says, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is spirit. So he's already got, Joshua always had a different spirit. You see him like hanging out uh, as close as he can to the temple. Like Joshua's just a cool kid. He's just a cool kid. He's got a heart for God. He's got an anointing on him. Clearly God's going to use him later in the story and like those types of things. He's going to be the next leader of Israel. I don't think anybody knew that here, but they could see like, this is a cool kid. And God says, take Joshua, whom the spirit is in, and I want you to do something. I want you to lay your hands on him and you will put some of your authority on him. 
Now, God is seeing one day it's not going to be some of Moses' authority. It's going to be all of Moses' authority, that the job Moses is doing, Joshua will be doing. And so God knows I've got to prepare Joshua for that authority. And so in order for him to have all that authority, he needs to be proven with some of that authority. But that authority is not going to come on him unless Moses places his hands on him and gives him that authority. And through the laying on of hands, something was given to Joshua that he did not have before. So much so that in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 9, it says, Now Joshua, Deuteronomy 34 and 9, now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Well, that's like, that's awesome. Like, he's got a lot of wisdom in him. Well, why? He was full of the spirit of wisdom because, literally, it says, because Moses had laid his hands on him. So he was filled with something because not a book he read, not an experience he had, um, not uh, a service he was in. He had something he did not have before because Moses had laid his hands on him. And this is the power of the laying on of hands, is God is giving something through people that people are not born with to help them run their race and finish their course. There is power in the laying on of hands. Now, uh, let's go New Testament. All that was Old Testament. And there's a lot more. There's a lot more, but I don't want to overdo it. Uh, so uh, let's, let's go in the New Testament in Acts 6. Acts 6, you know the Acts 6. It's kind of like that Moses thing, but in the New Testament. The church is growing, and it's great, but it's not either. There's a breakdown of like all these structural things because there's not enough leaders. And so God comes, and he's like, you, you need to handle this better and create a new structure where you have more people doing more things. And watch what happens here in Acts 6 and verse number 1. Now, about this time, when the number of the disciples was greatly increasing, there was complaining. And we see that all the time, right? Like when a church is growing, people complain. It's like, you didn't do this, and you should have men's ministry, or like, you know, any of these kinds of things as far as what people want to happen at a church. It's like, I thought I was coming to a big church. You should have ABC. So, you know, all all those kinds of things. Uh, So there's complaints, you know, and it's like, well, we got to fix this. Verse 2, so the the 12 convened, and the multitude of disciples said, it is not seemly or desirable or right. I like those things. It's not seemly, desirable, or right. And this is how I feel in this season, that I should have to give up nor neglect preaching the word of God in order to attend to the serving of tables and to the superintending of the, the ministerial organization things. It's like, I, I, I feel the, the pressure to like sacrifice spiritual things for natural things, that there's all these natural things that must be carried out, staff meetings and, you know, HR things and management and recruiting and like all of these other types of things. And we have all this organization here and they feel that tension of like, if we give ourselves to this, it's going to pull us away from prayer in the ministry of the word. And so they had this break. And so they say this in verse three, therefore select out from among yourselves, brethren, seven men of good and attested character. Uh, so they have, you know, wonderful things going on about them. They have, you know, good and, and, and they're full of character. They're people of repute, meaning they have a good reputation. They're full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. I've got a whole nother teaching on that of like, You've got to be filled with the spirit even before you're filled with wisdom. Solomon was filled with wisdom. David was filled with the spirit. Um, and it's good to have, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's a whole nother message. Uh, but, but whom we may assign to look after this business and duty. But watch this. We will continue to devote ourselves steadfastly to prayer in the ministry of the word. 
And the suggestion pleased the whole assembly. And they selected Stephen, a man full of faith, that is a strong and welcome belief that Jesus is the Messiah and full of the, and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And they list all these other people who are, are there. These they presented to the apostles who after prayer did what? Laid their hands on them. They laid their hands on them. There is power in the laying on of hands. Now notice, they were already filled with a lot. They're filled with wisdom. They're filled with the spirit. They're filled with all these kinds of things. And it's like, I'm I'm so thankful they're filled with these things. But we also need to lay our hands on them. Um, Acts 13, let's go over there and look at that. Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now the church assembly at Antioch, there were, were prophets and inspired interpreters of God's will and purposes and teachers, and it lists who all these people are. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, separate now for me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. Then after fasting and prayer, they put their hands on them and sent them away. Uh, so notice, you've already got people who are prophets and teachers. These are people who are literally in full-time ministry. And they have here, and it's like, okay, while you have these gifts, have you been separated for the work where unto God has called you? Has that work been labeled, named, and have you been empowered for it? And so after prayer, they separated them for the work of the ministry, and the way that they did it was acknowledging the ministry God had given these men, and then laying their hands on them to impart something unto them to help them run their race and to do the thing that they had been separated for. Um, And this is powerful. It's powerful to be name claimed and blessed. Name claimed and blessed. This is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. Named and uh, name claimed. And then what? He blesses him by what? The spirit of the Lord coming upon him. That even Jesus is, Jesus is the son of God. He's born with like some amazing things, but he goes to John And through John and through this ministry of John, the spirit of the Lord comes upon Jesus in a fresh and a new way. And he goes and stands in the power of the spirit after that. And that's when he began his ministry. He didn't just begin his ministry because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the son of God. I've got all these gifts, talents. He's God made manifest in the flesh. Why is he doing this? He's showing a pattern. He didn't have to do it. He's showing a pattern. That out of this, you can be born with all these things, but come to a place of humility where you allow a John the Baptist to come and create a moment for you where the Spirit of the Lord can come upon you in a fresh and a new way. And you stand in the power of that Spirit and then in the power of that ministry. He had a moment in the river with the Spirit before his ministry. And the reason why our ministries are not as effective as they need to be is we don't have these moments in the river with John. We don't value spiritual impartation like saints of old. I I was in the car the other day with Boston after um, uh, Sunday service. And Sunday was a busy day. I didn't preach on Sunday, but then there are some Sundays where it's like, I wish I would have our Sunday night. I preach Sunday morning, but Sunday night, because like I'm an introvert and entertaining people is a lot for me. Uh, it's, it's more work than preaching and teaching. Um, and so out of that, we had like a lot of ministers came in on Sunday that were talking to and helping and staying late with, and then you pick them up early and then, you know, stay late and all these things. This 
just wonderful it's, and, and that kind of thing. But it's, it's work, uh, too. And so, you know, out of that, especially for an introvert, but out of that, we, we, we were leaving the church, um, I forget what time, it was later, um, and the kids had stayed because me and Pep were both, you know, hosting. And um, out of that, Boston was riding with me. And I miss those times. Like last year, I was working out with Boston a lot. And so I had a lot of times with him in the car. And I just loved those moments because you were able to talk about a lot of the, like a lot of things, uh, everything, shocking things, but it was good. And I, I really enjoyed it because a friendship is developing there, which is just cool, you know, when you're not just a father, but, you know, friendship can develop. Um, and so anyway, it just reminded me of that. But we were leaving and we were right up here past Lakeland and we've been in the car for five minutes. And he's like, I really liked how you used to do something. And I'm like, hmm. I'm like, what? He said, um, I really liked it when you would have those missionaries lay their hands on me. And um, for years, like any time any elder minister would come in, I'm like, come here, kids. I mean, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. I'm like, come here, come here, come here. Bring them in the room. They come in the room. I'm like, lay your hands on them. And people like Wayne Myers, uh, people like Terry Law, Norval Hayes, Dr. Ed, like anybody, anybody who I felt like could actually give something through the laying on of hands. Um, yeah, you know, like um, I could go on with like some of these names. And he said this, he said, I really like when you did that and you brought these missionaries in to lay hands on. He's like, I got something. I'm like, what'd you get? He's like, I don't know. He said, but I know I got something. When that happened, and I'm like, you're more right than you know. You did get something, and that's why I did it. And I said, I should have had them do it today. You're right. I'll have them do it next time. Um, and it just made me see, like, his little spirit knew something intrinsically. I got something. I got something. Paul writes to Timothy, and he tells him this. I'll close with this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 12. When's the last time you got something? Through the laying on of hands. When's the last time you got something? When's the last time someone laid hands on you and you got something? 1 Timothy 4, in verse 12. Um, This is a wonderful passage of Scripture, Will. Uh, for you in this season, uh, birthday today, 28, is that right? Young man, 28 years old. My wife tells me I'm getting old. I turned 40 on Sunday. She's like, you're getting old. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you make noises, uh, when you stretch. And I do, like I noticed it. I'm like, you know, and so now I'm trying to stretch and not make the noises, but they still come out. It's like, you know, all this kind of, anyway. Uh, so young man. So this is fitting for you. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. I remember this being read over me at my ordination. as 19. Let no one despise or think less of you because of your youth. Why? If you let them despise you, you'll begin to despise yourself. And the, the greatest flow are the greatest reason why the lack of flow will happen in your life will be because of a lack of belief that there's something there. 
And oftentimes, people don't see what's there. Because man looks on the outward appearance, but, but God looks on the heart. But if you begin to believe there's not something there when you get up to preach and communicate, it will stop the flow of God from you. So even if other people don't see it, what they don't see doesn't matter as long as you see it. In Jesus' ministry, even with Jesus, there were people who did not see the gift of God right in front of them. But Jesus saw who he was, and he stood big in that anointing and stood big in that place and it enabled that anointing to flow through him. But you have to see who you are and never come to a place just because others don't see it that you don't. Let no one despise or think less of you because of your youth. And here's the call, Will, and I'm going to ask you to commit to this. And I'm going to make you verbally agree to it before I lay hands on you. But be an example for the believers. Um, what you're signing up for as a pastor is a high calling. And you're called by God to be an example. Meaning, people should be able to look at you, look at your marriage, look at the way you handle yourself, look at your, and he's about to list some of the things that they are to look for. He says, look at their lifestyle. Look at the way they talk, look at the way they communicate, look at the way they know the word. Um, they're going to look at that. So be an example in that area. And he says later that teachers are held to a higher standard, and we are. And if we don't want that standard, we should not sign up to be a pastor. Because signing up for being a pastor means I am to be an example to every single person I communicate to. And that does not mean I'm, I'm going to be perfect. Lord knows I have not been perfect. But it does mean I'm striving to be an example. And I hear people say it all the time. They're like, don't look at, you know, there's too much pressure on pastor's kids. I'm like, nope, look at my kids. I'm called by God to be an example. Look at my kids. Look at my marriage, judge it, look at it. I'm called by God to be an example. Look at my wife, is she happy? Judge it. I'm called by God to be an example. Look at the way I conduct myself. Look at my giving, look at my sacrifice, look at all those things. I am called by God to be an example. That is what I signed up for. Uh, because I am not going to teach you something that I am not adamantly trying to live by. And I will bow my knee to this so I can teach it to you in power and belief. Uh, and so out of that, he charges them, be an example for believers in speech, in conduct, that means in lifestyle, in love, in faith, and in purity. And then he says, till I come, devote yourself to public and private reading. He's saying, devote yourself to personal growth. If you're a pastor, you got to grow in wisdom. You have to, you have to grow in wisdom. You got to read books like crazy. You, you get, you've got to give yourself to wisdom. Uh, you need a library. You need podcasts. You need all, you've got to invest in yourself because I can't teach you anything that I don't have in me. Um, this message, everything I'm teaching here with all these scriptures, I wrote this in 15 minutes before I came out here. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying I did that because it's in me. I know all these scriptures because they're in me. I, I know, okay, like, okay, laying on of hands, where is, okay, here, Moses, Samuel with David, Timothy with Paul, book of Acts, those types. It's, it's there. 
And if you want to have something continually coming out of you, you have to have something continually being put in you, which means what you listen to your car is different from the people you're teaching. What you're doing with your private time is different from the people you're teaching. Uh, what they're doing for, for hours on end when their kids are asleep and everybody else is in bed, what they're doing is different from what you're doing. You are setting the example, and, and that's what you're signing up for in those moments. Be an example. Devote yourself to public and private reading. Devote yourself to exhortation. I love this. Preaching and teaching and personal appeals. So here he says, like, look, don't wait just for perfection before you start teaching and preaching. Like, genuinely begin to, to give yourself. And there were many times when I first started preaching, I'm like, I do not know what I'm doing. But the way I got to know what I was doing is doing it. And you know this with sports. You can read every book in the world about running. Every book in the world. But you're not going to learn how to run until you do what? Run. You can read, uh, Kathy, you can read how many books on cooking and, and learn all the cookbooks. But how are you going to learn how to cook? You cook. And it's the same thing with ministry. It's like while you're growing privately, publicly, you've got to minister. And you've got to put yourself in there. And, and there were times where it's like, because back in the day, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, I was doing it, 19, 20 years old. And that's actually harder than doing multiple services because it's different messages, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. Uh, so out of that, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm going to say. It's like, get up there. Just do it. Get up there. Say yes. If it's ministry, say yes. They ask you to preach. I get asked to preach at stuff all the time. Uh, little Bible studies, that type of thing. If I can say yes, I do say yes. Why? It literally tells me to give myself to public teaching. Um, like I, the Bible tells me as a pastor to be hospitable. I don't have an option to have people live with me. That's part of being an example. It's like, come live with me. I come, I open up my house to you to, to come and be ministered to by the peace that is in my house. Like literally that's a commandment to pastors. But he says, give yourself to public teaching and installing doctrine. And here's why. Do not neglect the gift which is in you. You have a gift that's in you, that special inward endowment. Now listen to this. That special inward endowment, which was directly imparted to you by the Holy Spirit, by prophetic utterance, when the elders laid their hands on you at your ordination. I'm going to read that again. Give attention to that special inward endowment, which was directly imparted to you by the Holy Spirit, by the prophetic utterance, when the elders laid their hands upon you at your ordination. He said, Timothy, you got something at your ordination that you did not have before that moment. You got something in that service. When those elders came and laid their hands on you and ordained you and set you aside for ministry, you got something there, Timothy, you were not born with. You got something in that moment that was not placed in you at birth. And he said, I want you to go back to that day of your ordination. And I want you to think about what was given to you. And today, like Moses with Joshua, I'm going to give you some of my authority. Um, I need people in places of authority throughout this ministry um, that genuinely are carriers of my authority, that you act in my name. Um, there are volunteers that you will interact with that I will never interact with. 
There are kids that you will interact with that you will never interact with, that I will never interact with. And out of that, um, God has given me authority over word of life globally. But I know like Moses, I've got to have 70 who can help me govern this because it's too big for me. So I'm giving you some of my authority. Today, you have my authority. And so when you are feeling like, I just, I don't know what to do here. Come back, what happened at your ordination? I, I have some of Pastor Joel's authority. That, that anointing that operates in his life to fix these things. And stuff comes up all the time. And we fix it, and it works, and we move on. That same authority will be on your life to carry that out and to instill it in your departments and to bring those things into a flourishing finish. Just like um, uh, authority was given, today I'm going to give you a spirit of wisdom. When we lay hands on you as as a, a church, we have had experiences of years of ministry that you have not had But the wisdom we have gained from that, the Holy Spirit can impart lessons in your heart that all of a sudden your eyes see things in such a way. It's like, I didn't see that that way before. It's like, I know how to do that. Yes, a spirit of wisdom has been given to you. When you hear things, it's like you're hearing it with ears that go beyond your experience. Because, uh, uh, you know, now I, I hear things and I'm like, ah, I see you, devil. And I never saw him there before, but I do now. That's wisdom. And you hear it. And when you hear it, Uh, You'll see and sense things that you didn't sense before. When you minister, you'll minister differently because uh, an anointing will come into you today that you did not have before. Uh, That through that, prophecies and prophetic utterance will be given today through the laying on of hands of the elders that you can war good warfare with. And you'll have moments where your, your faith is challenged and your convictions are challenged and your belief in yourself is challenged. But you come back to those prophetic words and say, this is who God says I am. And you fight a good warfare with that. And he said, Timothy, if you, you do these things, he said, I want you to practice, cultivate, and meditate upon these things. Throw yourself wholly into them in your ministry. And he says, your progress will be evident to everyone. He says, if you have faith in what happened to you on the day of your ordination, if you give yourself to personal growth, you strive to be an example, and you believe that what happened to you on the day you got ordained changed something in you, he said, People who watch you minister, they're going to be like, you're different. Your progress is evident to all. Um, And the reason why we want that, it's not so people can be like, wow, Will's amazing. But when my progress is evident, evident to all, the Holy Spirit is able to use me to make a difference. It's not about being impressive. It's about making an impression through the Holy Spirit that people will never get any other way. And, and out of that, uh, he says, your progress will be uh, evident to all. Look well to yourself, to your own personality, your teachings, persevere in all these things, hold to them. For by doing so, I love this, you will save yourself and those who hear you. And he's saying, uh, Timothy, if you do not pay attention to these things, it could cost you yourself. I talked to a pastor the other day. And this is important for everyone who works for a church. I talked to a pastor the other day who went through a moral failure. And no longer is pastoring. He didn't save himself nor those who heard him. Um, He went through a moral failure. 
And out of that, I, I was asking him, what happened? You know, what did you learn through those things? And he said, honestly, when it was all over, I realized I was a worse Christian after pastoring than when I started. That when I started working for a church, like I love church. I love going to it. I love scripture. I, I love prayer. I was coming to prayer meetings. I loved church. I loved ministry. I was volunteering without anybody asking me to, going on outreaches without anybody asking me to, like excited about it. And then he said, I got into ministry and the work of the ministry so consumed me that it's like I'm reading my Bible to preach a message. I'm not reading it because I love scripture and I'm trying to surrender to it. My worship was done in a service to get anointed to preach instead of me like loving the presence of God. Um, my mind was so burdened by the needs of the staff and the problems I encountered in the church that I, I lost any type of devotion towards God that was for him because every time I had a devotion, it was always about what I needed to be fixed in me so I could work another day. And when it was all over, I lost something about myself while working for a church. And, and these are things that for all of us as staff, you have to check yourself regularly in. That the things that actually showed you your calling to want to be here and in ministry are the things that will empower you to do that ministry. And if you lose those things, the first, the first title any of us are born with is son and daughter. It's your first title. Son and daughter. I don't care who you were, that's your first title. And then you're going to pick up a lot of titles. You're picking up a new title. Uh, we'll pick up titles of pastor, mom, dad, leader. Uh, we'll pick up uh, assistant, all types of titles. But when we become a pastor before I am a son, the power to live in the title of pastor will drain off of my life. But if I will be a son and a daughter first, that these are the things that I am before I am anything else and find my identity in that and surrender to it, I will find the, the beauty of uh, the office and a grace for the office. And what was hard in the flesh becomes easy because it's in the spirit. And so I charge you to save yourself. Save yourself, Will. Make a decision to love the Lord your God with every bit of your soul and strength. Make a decision to be a worshiper. Make a decision to be a man of the word. Make a decision to study this so that you can teach others, but not before you've taught yourself. Make a decision to be an example and confront any area of your life that you would not want mimicked in the children that you teach. If you would not want them to watch it, don't you watch it. If you wouldn't watch it with them right there next to you, don't you watch it. If you wouldn't listen to it with them right there in the car with you, do not listen to it. 
save yourself. And in doing that, it'll put a power on your life that will save them. Be an example. Fight for these things. Because what you're walking in is a holy calling. It's a beautiful thing. And after 20 years of doing it, there's just no higher honor to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be a pastor for his kingdom and a shepherd of his flock, to have even moments like this where I could talk to you and talk to us about God's word. There is just nothing more wonderful. Nothing more wonderful. And so it's, it's a precious thing, Will. And I'm excited uh, for you to be able to do this um, on your birthday. I just think that's super cool. Super, super cool. And excited to do this with, with family here uh, with you too. Uh, so many of these things that I just talked about, I wrote in your Bible that we will give you when you leave. Um, but I want to pray for you now and just lay hands on you. And I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Luke uh, to come, Pastor Myria.